Hi, this is Damien Christoph from 100 Not Out and The Wellness Guys. Become a change maker in the health industry today. All you need to do is enroll for the functional nutrition course and become an internationally recognized expert on the vitalistic philosophy of food and nutrition with our friends at the Functional Nutrition Academy. Register now and receive a six-week bonus accreditation course providing you with the business tools to start and grow your own business and a whopping $1,000 discount. So don't delay and start your health career today at www.thewellnesscouch.com forward slash functional. TheWellnessCouch.com, streaming wellness into your lives. Sit back, light the fire, kick your shoes off, because it's time for That Paleo Show with your favorite caveman, Brett Hill. Welcome to That Paleo Show, making the paleo lifestyle easy and accessible for everyone. I'm Brett Hill, and this week I'm joined by someone close to my own heart. Uh, he's a podiatrist, but he's a podiatrist with a difference. Uh, he's, no, he's known as the barefoot podiatrist, and we're going to talk all about natural movement, natural feet, uh, how to get your feet and the rest of your whole body functioning well. So, welcome to the show, Paul Thompson. Thank you very much for having me. Uh, absolute pleasure, mate. I love what you're doing. So into the barefoot stuff, and it's great to have an expert in the podiatry field who's taking it on board and running with it and teaching people how to move their body and move their feet naturally. So I'm really excited to chat about it today. Um, but before we get into uh, all that stuff, you know, I'd love to know how you started. Um, what made you decide to become? You know, how did you become the barefoot podiatrist? How did you become a podiatrist in the first place? Yeah, look, I sort of fell into podiatry. Um, I knew I wanted to help people. Um, I wasn't sure how. I looked into things like physio and, and some other health um, like industries and, yeah, podiatry is one I sort of fell into. And once I started it, I really enjoyed it. I really liked learning about the feet and, and started to realize that, you know, there was so much more to the feet that, you know, they're, they're such a, I guess, undervalued part of the body that, you know, we take for granted a lot of the time until they hurt. Um, you know, and through years of doing like standard podiatry, um, you know, and issuing out orthotics and, you know, all the, the usual things that people, you know, presume podiatrists do, I started to realize that there was so much more I could offer, um, you know, through my, my skills as a podiatrist, but also looking into the biomechanics more and learning how I could uh, actually start fixing feet and getting to the underlying problems which is where the whole barefoot podiatry um, thing came from, I guess, that I wanted to get people back to a barefoot state. Whether they choose a barefoot lifestyle or not is up to them, but I think it's really important that, you know, we we try and get back to, you know, being able to move barefoot and move barefoot well. Does that make <laughs> Yeah, it does. It makes heaps of sense. And, you know, it reflects, I guess, the journey that I've been on perfectly because, you know, for me, I started off on this journey when I was probably about 13 years old uh, and I started to get some knee pain and probably some, you know, growing pains, they said. Um, and so, you know, I went to, we went to see the local GP. Uh, he said, you yeah, know, you got to go see a podiatrist. So I went to see the podiatrist. They put me in orthotics and, you know, for the next 17 years, I was just put in various different forms of orthotics, you know, various times told that, you know, soft ones were better and then hard ones were better and, you know, but, but really variations of the same thing. 
until I discovered this whole kind of barefoot running idea and barefoot movement idea and, and decided for myself that I wanted to do it differently. And so, you know, I was lucky that I found a podiatrist who took a more functional approach to the feet, but even then wasn't really into kind of this whole barefoot idea. And it was only by working together as a team, we kind of figured out, you know, how we could help and, and what we could do to sort of get that happening. So, I totally get where you're coming from and I think it's fascinating to look at the difference between what people typically think of as podiatry and, and then what you're doing and, and talk about sort of the changes and differences there. So let's start by talking about, I guess, you know, what you sort of term traditional podiatry. Um, what sort of stuff, you know, what were you learning at university, you know, how, and how is that different from what you're doing today? Yeah, so through university, I guess you're taught, and I guess there's a lot of industries, you know, you're taught to solve um, symptoms. And, you know, podiatry is no different. If someone came in with heel pain, you'd be treating that um, heel pain symptom, trying to get the person out of pain. You know, you might go a little bit deeper and look at, you know, some of the problems causing the um, symptoms and then, you know, band-aid that with an orthotic or some other type of brace. But we never really seem to dig deep to get to the underlying problem. And I guess it's just the society we live in that, you know, we like to, that instant um, like gratification or instant relief, that then and there type of mentality rather than, you know, playing out the long game to get to the bottom of the actual problem. Um, but traditional podiatry, you know, in my mind is that we're, we're just treating those symptoms and sort of band-aiding them to get the person, you know, moving well. And, yes, it's helpful. No, it's definitely it's not that it's not helping people, um, but I just felt for me it wasn't getting to the real root cause of you know why that person isn't moving functionally, and then why why that's causing their pain as opposed to just treating the pain. Yeah, and I reckon there's a really interesting discussion to be had here around healthcare and kind of I guess the you know who's responsible and, and whose job it is to guide the direction of healthcare because there's sort of a few schools of thought on this that you know. Uh, should healthcare be driven by the consumer? And and as a general rule, the consumer most of the time will come in and see you with some sort of pain and, and their primary goal at first is just to get out of pain, you know, or, or should it be driven by the practitioner? And, and then the practitioner may have an understanding that, you know, there's more to it than just the pain and, and that whilst they may say they want to get out of pain, they, they probably have higher goals than that as well if they just knew that it was possible and, and knew there was other stuff they could do or, you know, or is it really being driven by, you know, I guess the, the sales and marketing aspect where, you know, there are companies out there wanting to promote and market products and uh, services and medications and those sort of things that are really good at, you know, getting people out of pain and, and quick fix solutions, but but not necessarily maybe helping people with the longer term solutions. You know, what do you think is driving this drive of people to come in for, you know, I guess the quick fix and, you know, whose responsibility do you think it is to to change that or not change that? Yeah, it's a tricky one. I think, you know, the responsibility part of that, you know, I think at the end of the day, the responsibility falls on ourselves to, you know, make the right decision, um, you know, with the information you have at that given time. But, yeah, I think the healthcare professionals, you know, so for instance, in my clinic, um, someone will come in with pain, that's their perceived problem. Um, for them at that time and my approach is that like yes I'll explain the pain to them and how we can treat that but I make sure I'm very clear that you know your pain that you're experiencing now you know 
may not be or you know if i do if i can see that it's not the problem you know i'll tell them that's not your actual problem your problem is you know this and we need to work long term on fixing x y and z but short term you know sure we need to get you out of pain and i just lay it all out on the table you know if, if they just want instant um pain relief and they don't really care about fixing their you know their body then cool i'm happy to give them an orthotic if i know it's going to help them and and you know stop them getting further you know injured but once you sort of explain to the person um you know what the real problem is they're quite often you know i'm yet to have many people say to me no i don't want to fix that just give me an orthotic (laughs) like most people don't want the band-aid they want to once they know the problem, mm. you know, yeah. most of the time it makes sense and they're like, oh, yeah, I, I know I do that. Yeah. Like, yeah, cool. That's what's causing your pain. Let's fix that. Um, so I think you know, it falls on both parties. Um, but what's causing, I guess, this instant relief that people are searching for is, um, you know, I guess it is like marketing. You know, A lot of the big companies are giving us more and more things to, you know, I guess as a society where – we're not very patient anymore. We want we want things now. Um, we won't wait for things, um, and that's cool. That's just the world we live in. But it is coming at a cost, you know. Like I guess it's the headache mentality of you pop a Panadol to make it better then and there, as opposed to you know if you're dehydrated having some water <laughs> and waiting for the pain to go away. Like so, I guess marketing, you know, is causing. Um, so these big companies are causing that mentality of wanting things fixed now because they're, I guess they're telling us that we can solve problems instantly when, you know, truth be told, a lot of the time, you know, yes, you can fix the symptom then and then, but to fix the problem does take a bit more time and that's what's not marketed to people. So when you then tell them it's going to take longer than, you know, what they perceive a normal time limit, you know, it may seem foreign to them because these big companies are telling them that put this shoe on and it'll solve all these issues or you know whatever whatever you know yeah. with food have this food and it'll um, do this for you when in reality it's just finding that balance and um and educating ourselves i guess to find out what's best for you in the long term yeah i love that answer and you know in so many ways it reflects what we see in chiropractic as well and and i guess in in many other you know health and wellness industries and i think what you said is spot on you know it, the responsibility really ultimately is with the consumer uh, but the responsibility of the pr- practitioner is to educate, you know, is to actually give people the opportunity to make an informed decision. And, you know, we often talk about informed consent, you know, in terms of, you know, making people, sure people are aware of the risks of different, you know, condition surgeries or operations or, you know, therapies and approaches. But I think you're spot on there, Paul. Uh, I think, you know, what we're seeing there is, uh, you know, is really reflected in many industries. You know, I think in terms of chiropractic, uh, you know, we see the same sort of thing. I think in, in many health and wellness industries where, you know, people are looking often for that short-term solution and, and ultimately it is the responsibility, I think, of the consumer um, to, to, you know, to make these decisions to decide what they want to do. But equally, I think it's the responsibility of the practitioner like yourself to inform and educate people, you know, to make sure that people are making an informed decision. And, and you know, we often talk about informed consent and we talk about it often around, you know, making sure we're making people aware of the risks of any particular approach or procedure or surgery or, or whatever it is. But I think, 
Equally, I think informed consent means making sure people are aware of the options and and particularly, I guess, some of the you know the longer term options that might be you know maybe a little bit more unpalatable to people at the you know when they're when they're just looking for a quick fix solution, but you know in the long run are often the best solution for those people as well. So I think you know for the practitioner to be brave enough to say, Do you know what, there's a bigger issue here. And this is the truth about what's going on. And, you know, we might need to actually do some real work here. Uh, I think it's really important as well to enable that consumer to make an informed consent as well. And what you, So just to butt in there, what you just said there about, um, you know, getting to the truth and there may be, you know, some, some real work to put in. I guess that to some practitioners can be scary too because, you know, that Band-Aid approach is known. Um, it's easy. Yeah. <laughs> and... Generally, it's, you know, I, I, like take this the right way, but it's easier to make money out of just constantly treating quick fixes where when you start searching for deeper problems, um, quite often you won't have all the answers yourself and you'll need to refer more holistically. Um, mm. You know, you may do your part and then it's like, well, you know what? Now there's this section that is popping up that I need you to go and see whatever, a chiropractor, you know, physio, whoever you then need to send them to. And I think that can be scary for some practitioners too, not having all the answers. Um, mm. But, yeah, you'd spot on that. We do need yeah. to... Um, look for the truth. <laughs> yeah, I, I think you're absolutely right. You know, when you sort of throw away that cookie-cutter approach and you throw away that cookbook approach, all of a sudden you have to you know, work on the fly <laughs> and, the, and it takes a lot yeah. more problem-solving and, and, you know... Uh, individual care, which is really important as well. So let's talk about what that looks like. I mean, I guess let's talk about some of the traditional podiatry first. You know, a lot of people yep. will think of podiatrists and they immediately think, well, you know, orthotics, uh, you know, really structured shoes with arch support and, uh, you know, maybe a, maybe a heel lift. Um, you know, those are the sort of things people would traditionally think of when they think about going to see a podiatrist. Um, you know, what's What's wrong with that approach? You know, that seems to be the common approach. That seems to be what most podiatrists do. Um, you know, why? Why is what you? Why do you do differently to that? Yeah, look, um, uh, there's nothing wrong with it. It's just not my preferred method. I think, um, you know, getting people out of pain is still important. Like I said before, and. You know, sometimes using things like orthotics and structured shoes definitely have their place, but it doesn't solve an issue. Like it doesn't solve, you know, a, the underlying problem. If if you need arch support or if you need a structured shoe, then you, you're supporting something and what you're essentially supporting is a dysfunction. And to get rid of the orthotics or to treat a person without the orthotics, you need to work on that dysfunction rather than just supporting a dysfunction because by supporting it, you're inevitably keeping that dysfunction there and just band-aiding it. So as soon as you take those shoes off or as soon as you take your orthotics off, you're back at square one. You haven't necessarily improved anything. You may have done a few exercises here and there and done a little bit better, but at the end of the day, if there's a deep underlying problem, it's not resolved and that's where i've i guess tried to go that one step further and you know yes if i need to i'll, I'll use an orthotic as a short-term like crutch but my goal for each and every patient that i that i treat or that i put in orthotics is to get them out of an orthotic and to get them moving as well as they can 
and to reconnect to their feet so that they can support themselves and support um, like their own body and their own movement, um, yeah, for like a better life and to if they're not relying on anything. Yeah. So but, yeah. you're known as the barefoot podiatrist. Let's talk about shoes as well because, you know, many people are sort of told that, you know, what you really need to make your feet work right is a good structured shoe. You know, you need uh, arch support, you need stability control, you need more padding on the heel, you need ankle support, you know, all these different things people are told they need in a good structured shoe to make their feet work right. Um, obviously, as the barefoot podiatrist, you might have a bit of a different take on that. Yeah, look, I certainly do. And, you know, I know shoes have a, a place in society and if people choose to wear shoes like here and there, then that's fine. But, you know, shoes cause damage. <laughs> like there's no two ways about it. I'm a strong, strong believer that, you know, unless you're in like a minimalist shoe that, um, you know, works the way the foot works, then it's causing you damage on some level and you know the structured shoes it starts unfortunately with kids in a lot of cases and it drives me nuts you know i know we've had a chat about this before like that you wouldn't put someone in a back brace if they haven't got a back problem and even if they do have a back problem you you may still not but you know you're not gonna when a toddler's learning to crawl you're not putting a brace on their hips to protect their little hips while they're learning to use them. Yeah. It just doesn't make sense. But yet we're putting shoes on kids while they're learning to use their feet and while they're, you know, learning to activate certain muscles and use, you know, different ranges of motion. And, you know, a lot of people, uh, well, the proprietary industry recommend that, you know, up until about two years of age, the shoes are soft anyway, so that's that's good. But then from two years it changes, everything changes and we need we, we start telling people, well not me, but you know, podiatrists and, and footwear companies and, and the likes will recommend that you're in like a supportive shoe with a little heel or less than two centimetre heel is what the recommendation is, which is still massive. Um, you know, a structured shoe which stops the foot from moving and and you know, reacting the way it should. So we're changing movement patterns from like a very young age, you know, at least school age when most kids are in like a structured school shoe. And then that goes on for however many years until the person's old enough to generally choose that they want to, you know, then revert to a, a minimalist shoe. Um, so I think the shoe space needs to really um, get a bit of a shake up and I think people, you know, need to be educated and, made aware of the effects that shoes are having on not only our feet but like our whole body and the, and the posture of um, people and the way we move because it's causing, you know, big issues. And it's why I believe I see so many people like come through my doors in my clinic. You know, a lot of it you can put down to shoes. <laughs> and I think if, if people took a more barefoot approach, um, you know, I would see – less people um, through my, my podiatry doors, which would make me very happy. You know, as a podiatrist, that's <laughs> all I want to see. I just want to see people use their feet well. And if I become redundant 
because people are all using their feet well, I'd be very, very happy. I'd love to go find another industry. <laughs> <laughs> I reckon you're probably pretty safe for a little while yet, Paul. But um, <laughs> let's let's talk about some of the, uh, I guess, the structures of the shoes that, that make yeah. this an issue. So talk first about the heel. And, and I guess being clear that we're not talking about just high heel shoes either, are we? No, look, you know, when I I'll, normally when I'll show, I'll tell men that, you know, that a heel in a shoe is, you know, obviously a bad thing and they'll look at me like I'm nuts, you know, like what do you, what do you mean in a heel? I don't wear high heels. But anything more than kind of a millimetre or two is essentially a heel. So the, the height of the back of the shoe compared to the like, ball of the foot is the heel raised and most like modern joggers will have anywhere from, you know, one and a half to two centimetres of heel height built into that shoe. And then obviously, you know, there's dress shoes and women's shoes that, that can go a lot higher than that even. Even with men's shoes, they can, you know, be up around three centimetres in a dress shoe, which um, shifts our centre of gravity. So it tilts us forward, um, obviously, like if you're standing up, you know, nice and tall, not bending at all and weren't compensating, then that little bit of a heel, and obviously the bigger the heel gets, the more it's going to tilt you forward. And then what we have to do to compensate for that is um, shorten our Achilles or our calves to, you know, obviously um, adapt to that heel. We um, shift our pelvis position to adapt for that, which means then we put more stress through our lower back. We start winding up the foot with a mechanism called the windless mechanism, which you know, don't stress out. You don't really need to know about it, but it's basically when you start winding your big toe up, it starts to lock the foot, um, which is a natural thing that the foot does to help with propulsion through gait and through running. But having a little heel built in means that toe is slightly bent, you know, each and every step. So we're not, we're landing in a, a slightly locked foot position every single time, which means the muscles can't fire. So muscles can become imbalanced, joints become you know, stiffer and locked up in, in positions they shouldn't be, and we end up in this chronic compensated position that becomes a habit and changes the way we move. Other features you know, of the shoe is that stiff midsole, which again doesn't allow us to um, you know, adapt to the surface underneath. I was, I was going to mention that because, you know, if you, you spoke about the kids' shoes before and, and if you look at, you know, any of those really popular brands of kids' shoes, I mean, for parents out there, just pick up your kids' shoes and try and give them a little bit of a twist and see how much movement there is and, and I guess ask yourself whether you think that's natural for your kids' feet. Yeah, they're not. <laughs> <laughs> you should be able to bend the shoe in half. So, you know, with adult shoes, <clears throat> take it a little bit easier. If you, you know, if you start going back to a minimalist shoe, you obviously need to take some care because your body you know, is has been in a chronically um, compensated position. But with kids, they're still learning. Like the shoe should bend in half. It should be dead flat, nice and wide around the toes. Um, you know, it should lace up or have some Velcro or some type of strap to hold it onto the foot so they don't have to claw the toes. Um, but all that shoe should be doing is protecting the bottom of the foot from sharp objects. Mm. That's all the foot needs in certain situations, but for a lot of the time, it doesn't even need that. Um, like my little boy, he's barefoot 99% of the time, like completely barefoot, much to a lot of people's horror. Um, 
but he'll run over surfaces that you'd sort of cringe at, you know, cringe at because he's like, oh my gosh, that's, you know, like little rocks or whatever. But he is, he's only three and a half and he's become that strong and that aware of his feet. He, he adapts instantly and can run over so many surfaces. And now what I try and do is copy him. And it's amazing how when you start getting back onto those surfaces, at first it's like, oh, my gosh, this is really painful. I shouldn't be letting him do it. But that's just my perception because my feet have become so weak and sore. Once you start doing it over time, it's amazing how strong and resilient your feet can become. That's what they're designed to do. They're designed to carry us around the world over lots of different surfaces. So don't be scared to let your kids get out there, you know, within reason, like glass and things like that is not a good idea. Let me just throw that out there. But, you know, grass and some little pebbles and dirt, sand, they're great surfaces to teach your kids different movement patterns um, and to really engage those senses, you know, of the feet and get the muscles really firing. And I love that idea of following the kids. You know, I, I often do that as well. And I think you can, there's so much you can learn from just watching what your kids do and kind of copying them and having their curiosity and having their adventurous spirit. Is, uh, yeah, it's fantastic. It's a great way to really reconnect with the world around you, I reckon. Um, definitely. Hey, uh, what about the arch support? You know, people often talk about <laughs> you know, needing to support the arch. And, and you know, to a certain degree, it's pretty logical. You know, people think, well, if the arch is there for a reason and if having a good arch is a good idea, then, you know, sticking something up under it to maintain that arch seems like a sensible proposition but it's not always the case is it Paul no it doesn't make sense though <laughs> like an arch is there to support itself yep so you know I live in the south of Sydney so you know it'd be crazy to see <clears throat> the Sydney Harbour Bridge with other supports underneath it to protect the bridge because it's weak like it just doesn't make sense you'd want to then fix the bridge so that it supports itself, right? You're not going to fill it in with concrete underneath to support it. And the same is with our feet. Yes, if they're weak and causing you pain, you might support it whilst you fix it, um, you know, unless there's some really big issue that is unresolvable. You, I don't know, you may have some chronic type of inflammatory arthritis or something that, you know, that you will need to support it long term. But for a lot of people... It doesn't need it to be supported long term. It just needs to be um, fixed and corrected through exercises. Um, you know, it's it's designed to support itself, and the muscles around it can do so. So for me, um, you know, I think the whole myth around supporting feet with art supports um, is crazy, and something that's been marketed um, yeah. to people as that quick fix. And it's taken off now. Lots, you know, the orthotic industry is huge and booming, and I don't know why. You know, it's it's people just assume. I get people all the time that come in here with foot pain, and you know, they'll say to me, "I've already tried our orthotics." And I say, "Okay, who prescribed them? Oh, the, oh, we got them from the chemist." Okay, why'd you do that? Well, because if you have sore feet, you get arch supports, and you know, it's such a common mentality now that needs to be changed because it's not correct, and. You know, I believe that it actually weakens the feet more. If you're just relying on that arch support, whether it's from a shoe or an orthotic, over time those muscles in the arch aren't engaging and you will lose, you know, more um, muscle and more control over the foot by not using it. 
Yeah. And, you know, the final thing I'd love to talk about in terms of the feet, I guess, is uh, proprioception. You know, the, the body's mm. awareness of where it is in space. Uh, you know, so much of that comes from the feet and it's so important. And I guess it, it's really the link between the feet and the whole rest of your body, you know, your brain function and your overall body health. And, and I guess one of the reasons why looking at the feet is so important, isn't it? Yeah. Like, so, you know, there's over 200,000 nerve endings in our feet. It's you know such a highly innovated area for nerves and sensation, um, and that's not you know by fluke. You know they're there for a reason. It's just that we don't tap into them. Um, you know the nerves in our feet, like you said, they help with awareness. Of, you know in space, like um, they'll help you know with balance, with adapting to whatever surface is under us at any given time. We get instant feedback to the brain to tell us that that's hot or cold or sharp or smooth or, you know, and our body can react, you know, virtually like instantly to whatever is that perceived, you know, threat or whatever underneath our feet. But the other thing that the nerves in the feet do is they help innovate muscles, you know, as far up as the hip and, and probably even further. I'd imagine I haven't really looked. I'm sure you'd. <laughs> You probably know more about that than me, but um, they're designed that when we land and when we use them properly, like especially in a barefoot sort of state, when we land, when our foot lands on the ground, it tells you know muscles further up the chain, not only to fire but when to fire, which is really important when it comes to functional movement and, and good posture and alignment, um, because without the feet. We don't necessarily get that. We're kind of guessing that, you know, all oh, the glutes need to fire now. Yeah. And that's what happens in shoes. If we're in shoes for a long period of time, especially with a thick sort of sole, we become very desensitized to the feet. They don't get any stimulation. It's a constant. Um, well, yeah, the sensation is a constant, um, a nice cushioned constant, which isn't necessarily a good thing because we're not getting that feedback that we need yep. to, to grow and develop. And I guess that feedback, <clears throat> you know, that feedback from your spine or sorry, from your feet and from your nervous system actually goes right back to your brain as well. And so, you know, it really does then affect, uh, you know, the input into your brain then affects everything else coming back out from there, including, as you said, all the different muscles right throughout your body. But it actually affects your stress response in your body. You know, getting that proper stimulation of your brain allows your body to de-stress better. It affects all the rest of your organ function as a result of that as well. So it is really important for overall health and well-being to have that good proprioception. You know, we talk about it a lot as chiropractors because about 80% of that actually comes from your spine. Um, and that's a large part of what we do as chiropractors is having an influence on that global stress response in the body. Um, but, you know, outside of the spine and the feet are really the next biggest source of that as well. And so, you know, getting stimulation into those is super important. Um, but, Paul, I wanted to talk to you before we ran out of time because we're almost there is um, I want to talk to you about diet because I know I've spoken to you before and you've spoken about diet being uh, a cause of uh, some of the issues people have with their feet but also part of the solution as well. Yeah, look, when it comes to food, there's certain foods that, you know, as many of you would know, can cause inflammation in your body. Um, and that inflammation, you know, we know it can affect our gut and different parts that can make us feel, you know, crook. But what a lot of people don't realize is certain foods we eat can cause inflammation in like joints, which 
can cause us to then change the way we move. So if you're in a constant state of inflammation, you'll need to adapt. If your you know, joints are feeling sort of swollen or inflamed, they're going to have a bit of a lesser range of motion or become stiffer. So movement patterns like walking will become adapted around that joint tissue. Um, you know, or you may be in pain, which means you'll also compensate for that, you know, inflamed joint. The other thing with food, in particular, um, like a lot of sugar in a diet, is a thing called glycation, which happens in a lot of um, tendons and causes the tendons to become really sticky um, and not sort of yeah, function and glide as well as they should either, which again, over time, can like shorten those tendons and create um, shortened range of motion um, or put you at a higher risk of um, like tendon tears and you know things like Achilles tendonitis, that type of thing um, if you're in that yeah, high sugary type of, of diet. So you know eating a nice um, yeah well-balanced, healthy diet and trying to decrease that inflammation in your body, will not only obviously make you, you know, feel great and look great, but it can help, um, you know, when you start trying to look at fixing movement patterns, it can really help you get ahead a lot quicker if your body's not in inflammation. That's one of the things that I find, like, in the clinic, you know, I might be treating someone um, and we're looking at, you know, all different things. We've got them moving well, but they're still just not quite there. And like, diet's a hard one to get someone to change, but... Quite often, if there's nothing else, like there's just we've tried everything and they're just not quite there. Diet's the one thing I start pushing with them to just you know give it a go, and it's amazing how once they then start to change the diet um, or their you know relationship with food, especially around that you know high sugar um, type of thing or those really inflammatory type foods, it's amazing that you know the results you can start to get. So. You know, definitely look at your body, obviously, from a functional point of view and, and work on rebuilding, you know, your feet and your posture and moving well. But at the same time, yeah, diet, you know, it's what we're putting into our body is just as important as, you know, the way we're moving yeah. as well. So, Absolutely. Know. And that reflects what I see in practice as well. You know, you see the people who do really good in terms of their food and um, it does just make a difference. They just get better results quicker. You know. Yeah, I, I, I believe so. Yeah, beautiful. Well, mate, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on board today. Um, I know that uh, you know people are going to love this interview. I know that people are going to want to get in touch with you and contact you. It uh, it seems like that's working already, even though we haven't put this live yet because your phone's been ringing off the hook. That's great. <laughs> um, <laughs> so if people want to find out more about you, they can obviously head to your website, uh, sorry, or your Facebook, which is The Barefoot Podiatrist. Um, they can find you on Instagram at The Barefoot Podiatrist as well. Uh, your practice website they can find is coromalpodiatry.com. Um, you're going to have to spell Coromel for me because I get it mixed up every time. Yeah, C-O-R-R-I-M-A-L, podiatry. I had it right too. <laughs> yeah. I could have gone for it. And uh, and you're also going to be involved in the Art of Natural Running, Paul, which will hopefully be done within the next few months, which is an online program uh, teaching people how to run naturally and run healthily. So um, you're one of our absolute experts on there and you've given some great content on the video uh, episode we've done there. So people can look forward to finding out more about that. Make sure they're signed up for the newsletter at drbretthill.com uh, to find out all the details about that when it goes live as well. Um, and, uh, and I know you've got lots of plans of 
of uh, stuff that you're going to bring out with the Barefoot Podiatrist, Paul. So they want to be following you on uh, on Facebook and Instagram as well to find out about those upcoming programs that we're going to be doing in the future too. Yeah, definitely check it out. We've got some uh, cool stuff hoping that we'll launch this year. Um, with yeah, creating a, a nice big barefoot movement. Um, yeah, so so check it out um, and get on board. Feel free to um, reach out if you have questions. Uh, if I can help in any way, I, you know, I love to get people moving well. So feel free to yell out. Beautiful. Thanks, buddy. For everyone else, until next week, join the conversation on Facebook. Give us a five-star rating on iTunes. Join our newsletter list at thatpaleoshow.com and let's help grow the paleo tribe worldwide. Join us next week on That Paleo Show. This has been a production of thewellnesscouch.com. Check us out on Facebook and join in the conversation on facebook.com forward slash thewellnesscouch. Subscribe to each show on iTunes and check us out on Twitter. The Wellness Couch, streaming wellness into your lives. Whilst the Wellness Couch presenter endeavor to provide accurate and helpful information to their listeners, these podcasts cannot take into account individual circumstances and are not intended to be a substitute for health and medical advice from a qualified health professional. You should always seek the advice of a qualified health professional before acting on any of the information provided by any of the Wellness Couch podcasts.